one of the things that I think uh, was a really successful thing that was done prior to my time here is having the virtual tours online during the right. pandemic, which was great because you're literally able to kind of scan around and see the work. And it's great to have that kind of archive, especially with the temporary works. But what's really important is being able to also have more context about those works. So we, we're starting a series of interviews with artists that will then be posting as kind of compliments to the exhibitions. So mm -hmm. just talking about their process and their kind of uh, thinking behind making the work. Welcome to Flagship Stories. We've got a great interview with Laura Demensic on tap, but we should probably intro this entire idea. Yeah, yeah, why not? Talk a little bit about ourselves. So my name is Chris Lantinen. Uh, I am the digital media coordinator for the Edinburgh Beehive, and uh, that is a center that is part of the NWPA Innovation Beehive Network. So if you don't know what that is, the network is a group of centers at the universities around the area. And of course, the library is also part of the Beehive, where, by the way, we are recording this first interview and intro. Right um, And the network offers free business assistance in a whole bunch of different ways um, to small businesses and entrepreneurs in the region. But part of my history is that I also had a long-running music podcast called Modern Vinyl, um, I did five plus years of that program, uh, around 200 episodes, which is a lot of episodes. And uh, I brought that passion and prior experience into the Beehive. And so that's one of the services we offer is podcasting. So along with that push into podcasting, um, we started releasing some of our own shows like Buzz Generated, um, which we'll link in the show notes and which has us talking to clients after they've been through the Beehive. Um, and the next project was was this, which was a collaboration between the Edinburgh Beehive and the Erie Reader and Nick Warren. I'm Nick Warren. I'm the managing editor for the Erie Reader, uh, you know, your friendly in the neighborhood Alt Weekly from Erie, Pennsylvania, um, you know, equivalent to the city paper, the Cleveland scene. But yep. you're from Erie, so you already know what the Erie Reader is. Uh, pick us up free uh, at country fairs and liquor stores and all that, all those good <laughs> locations. Um, so, yeah, and check us out online at eerreader.com. And, you know, I also, in addition to that, I also do some art and I, I play, you know, probably too much music around town, too. And contributed the music to this show. Oh, um, yeah. So the show is planned for monthly for the first few as we get our feet underneath us. And then we plan to go to biweekly after that, if you're wondering about our schedule. Um, flagshipeerie at gmail.com is our email address. So if you want to pitch us guests, if you want to just send us a note or some listener mail or questions, or just generally get in touch with us, uh, that's where you'll be able to reach us. And I don't think we should go any further without mentioning that we are part of a rising, growing podcast scene here in Erie. Definitely. Um, a ton of good shows. The Erie Reader has covered that scene really well. Mm -hmm. um, introduced me to mm -hmm. a ton of shows that I didn't know existed. Shout out to John Burdick for um, doing some of that coverage, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, great writer. Um, and we... You know, I think we're just happy to be part of this scene and happy to be another good show in the very in the varied and diverse yeah. lineup that the city presents in this medium. So, uh, do you have a personal favorite you want to shout out? Another podcast in your oh, area? another local podcast. I mean, I love Idiotville. Uh, yeah, uh, they're they're probably one of my favorites. Uh, uh, our area too. Um, good show. as well um there's 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 a I'm, lot of good ones i'm sure we'll have people on from yeah, those shows yeah. and i'm sure we'll we'll be talking about them as we go for sure um you're going to be able to find us wherever you listen to podcasts if you can't 
let us know and we'll get the show on whatever service you mm-hmm. listen to podcasts on, but it'll be on all the major ones and um, we'll be all good. I should throw out some some credits really quick. Yeah. Some credits. So art by Scott Glad, who works with me at the Edinburgh Beehive. Music by you. That's me, Nick Warren. And um, this episode, we had some additional research by Julia Cardin, who also works at the Edinburgh Beehive. So I wanted to shout oh, her nice. shout her out as well. And Chris, I'm happy to be your your Andy Richter, your Ed McMahon, your <laughs> your sidekick here on this show. I think Chris will be taking the lead on most of these interviews. Uh, I'll just chime in with a, a stupid comment now and then, but uh, uh, we're well, happy to have him Well, you asked some great questions oh, in this interview. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I, ha- I did not hear any stupid comments. And it was morning but... for me. And it was uh, which is, uh, and you didn't have a coffee. I so did not. Are you are you a coffee person? You know, I am a coffee person, but my body's not a coffee body. So my, mine either, but yeah. that doesn't stop me. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so quickly before we uh, get into this interview, uh, we're going to end each of these. I think these intros will probably grow and change as we They'll go. They'll morph. There'll be is, two hours in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a <laughs> mar- a Marin length and uh, <laughs> a Marin length intro. No, uh, they'll probably expand a little bit, and we'll we might hit on some eerie news or you know little things like yeah, that. Yeah. But uh, I would like to finish the intros with a little bit of a roundup. You know, yeah. little news items or little bits. You know, yeah. in- involving us and not involving us. But this one involves you. Hey. In that you have a new, um, what would you call this type of piece? Yes, Baby Park. I have some signage up there that I was really happy uh, to to work with uh, our West Bayfront on. Uh, shout out to Anna France. And uh, yeah, it's uh, one of the signs about the, the history of Baby, Bayview Park, uh, uh, you know, from, its, from New Jerusalem till now. Um, and uh, the other uh, sign across the way is about the Pontiac Field. Um, you did both of them. I did both of them. They're kind of, you know, you know, primary colors. They're pretty bright, mm-hmm. hard to miss. But yeah, that was actually my second thing, working uh, on a piece about Sam Jethro, which was really cool. You know, where, for, was former that? Rookie where was that one up? Uh, I, have a, I, have a, I had a utility box project. Uh, you can see Sam, the one about Sam Jethro on, on the corner of uh, State and 26 by gotcha. that country fair. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's really fun to be dipping my toe into public art as well. So I was running through Bayview Park. This is not a lie. Uh, I was running through Bayview Park and I saw this. I saw the sign and I thought that's that definitely wasn't there before. And it opened up your mind and it looks really nice. Yeah. And then I I came home hey. on Facebook. Here is you promoting oh, yeah. this new sign <laughs> that you did at Bayview Park. So it was cool. just a nice. Oh, I just saw that. So yeah. I think no, it looks it looks great. If you have somehow not been to Bayview Park. I think it's one of the more underrated little spots in definitely, the city. Definitely. Some people, and it's it's coming up. They're 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 doing that basketball court mural soon. Yeah, um, which which will be awesome as well. So it's a cool little spot, yeah. and of course they put the. I guess people have probably seen the the new Erie sign. Oh yeah, people yeah, take yeah. pictures yeah. in front yeah. of it and stuff. And so like even when I just used to live over by Green Garden, I had no idea Bayview existed. And then you yeah. move up a little bit in the city, and all of a sudden you're walking past it every all day. the time. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. But yeah, so uh, a new piece. Go check it out at Bayview. Um, go, you know, hang out there just in general. The last thing I want to mention, maybe you have something else, but the last thing I want to mention was um, I went to the 40 Under 40 celebration. Oh, yeah. That's through the, us and Younger Professionals. Right. The Courtyard by Marriott by the Bayfront. All outdoors, felt safe, a lot of cool vendors were there. great venue. Um, I will shout out the... Uh, the apple pie moonshine. Oh, I didn't from get Luminary yeah. Distilling was 
pretty. It was like almost too good. Oh, I need to. Then I need to try that. Drinking more, and obviously, I w- I was running around too, doing too much to to get. Yeah, you I, were DJing. I, I said, oh, I'll I'll play an hour set in there. Um, that'll be a good idea, and I'll bring a yeah. PA of my own and make move that to two different locations during the night. Yeah, you were That's smart. I saw you in like three different locations, which <laughs> meant you were busy. But anyways, um, still great though. It was it was a nice event, and I uh, didn't get a picture in the in the in the picture booth thing. I, I was very either. sad. Okay, I didn't either. So all my friends, all, all my friends got one without me. I got my picture taken by uh, Jess Hunter. Oh yeah, right? yeah. and uh, but the, the no, no, no picture Hunter. booth. Yeah. 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 Did you have anything for the roundup? Uh, well, I just wanted to say uh, about this episode. Yeah. Um, I freaking love the Area Art Museum and have for many many years, and I think uh, it's a solid bet that whoever is listening to right now, you do too. And it it was really a pleasure to talk to Laura, um, you know the new the new head of this um, about the museum, uh, and and what it's what it's going to do, you know, moving forward, and it's it, the new plans for it. So yeah, it was a good talk. Yeah. Speaking of that, I think we should get into it. Let's do it. I think it would be worth walking through your background in the arts because you obviously have quite a mix of Northwest Pennsylvania, but mm-hmm. also a lot more. So if you just want to take us through your background and and kind of a mix of like not just your standard like you know uh, cur- yeah, curatorial experience as well. Like mm-hmm. you, see, you have a wide array too as an artist as well. Yeah. Um, so. I got my bachelor's at Carnegie Mellon um, in fine arts. So my concentration was painting, drawing, and printmaking. And uh, after that, I went on to do a lot of nonprofit work uh, at Contemporary Craft in Pittsburgh in education and exhibitions, a lot of outreach programming as well. Uh, from there, I went to the to the Pittsburgh Center for the Arts as the exhibitions coordinator. And during all of during that time, um, I was also teaching at a lot of different art centers, uh, city parks and the Pittsburgh Center for the Arts and uh, Sweetwater Center for the Arts, those kinds of places. Uh, so regional kinds of arts organizations in the Pittsburgh area. But then I continued to go into more art administration and eventually started working, you know, in curatorial kinds of ways, but also as the director of the Pittsburgh Center for the Arts um, and was there through the merger of with Pittsburgh filmmakers. And during that time, I had some really interesting experiences working with uh, a startup project um, with uh, the St. Francis University, where we had a residency, an artist residency in their offsite study abroad program. They have uh, a, this really wonderful uh, 17th century monastery that we had a two week residency there uh, for artists to go and, and do workshops and also kind of visit the area. And um, Albi is not terribly far from there. So it was a really great experience. And that's something that I continued on. Uh, after uh, my time at the at the center, and you know, we're hoping that we can kind of continue that once we're out of the, you know, throes of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have done some things that uh, while I was at the the center, where I was working with a hospital um, where we 
basically were acting as the arts consultants because they really wanted to have regional artists um, in their new patient tower. Mm -hmm. And so we worked with probably about 25, 30 different artists uh, that ended up having their work displayed and purchased by the, the hospital for their collection. So that was a really great experience, too, to be able to have that sort of practice extend out into a much more visible way in the community. So that brings us to Erie. Yeah. You've been here. You were hired in January, February? Uh, yeah, range. I started in February. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so for the past few years, I've been doing some independent consulting with grant writing and curatorial projects. Mm -hmm. And this has been a kind of a great opportunity to uh, sort of mesh a lot of things together. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of poised at this really interesting place Um it, it, when I visited Erie for the first time, I was really struck by the amount of cultural organizations and opportunities that are here. Mm -hmm. I think that oftentimes it gets kind of a, a short stick as far as how much how much there is to offer here, mm -hmm. you know, how, as far as how uh, interesting the, the cultural landscape is. So, yeah, I've been here since uh, February. It was an interesting time to start a new job uh, during the mm -hmm. pandemic, but I guess everybody's been going through all kinds of things over this past 18 months. But uh, yeah, so in the beginning, lots of my meetings I was saying earlier were all via Zoom. And so it was an interesting way to kind of get to know the community. But what's been great is that we have gradually started to open up so that mm -hmm. we've expanded our hours from two to four days a week. We've brought back in-person programming. Mm -hmm. And now we're kind of adding on some staff so that we can really have the infrastructure to to be able to offer more to the community. Oh, excellent. Yeah, and gallery night starting up soon, right? Gallery night, is, yeah. That's Knock the, on wood. That's the plan, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we have gallery night starting October 15th is the excellent. date. And we also have um, a major uh, event for us uh, is the first fundraiser um, kind of cultivation event that we have had in over two years with mm -hmm. the Art Vision event this coming okay. Saturday. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did want to get into that event on the 25th. Um, which is titled A Vibrant Future for Our Community. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I don't want you to obviously spoil anything, <laughs> but uh, you talk about how you're going to touch on the, the further diversification of programming. Mm -hmm. uh, can you give us a little preview about what you're going to pitch for the future and for the museum? Sure. And, you know, some of this is no secret at all. We okay. Right now <laughs> we have a really wonderful retrospective exhibition by Beatrice Leberton, who will actually be visiting with us uh, this week and will be here for the Art Vision um, event. And so she is a painter who will be talking about her kind of multicultural uh, experience. Um, she's an artist that was born in France and has uh, some Nigerian ancestry and has studied in Paris. So she's an artist that has received her master's in fine arts as well as in art history, focusing on African art. And she then she then traveled to the United States in 86 and has been living in Harlem. Uh, and so we're thrilled to have her work here. It's using a lot of the kinds of symbology and iconography from uh, a lot of different uh, cultures and, and uh, some of the things that she has studied and researched throughout the years. Well, you answered one of my questions because I was going to ask about that exhibit. <laughs> so while we're on this topic, do you want to run through some of the other current exhibits that are up at the museum right now? 
Um, I have, uh, do we want to start with David King? David King is a painter from Cleveland, Ohio, and he has been in previous spring shows, so it's great to be able to have a solo show of his work. It's called Time Travel, and it's basically inspired by some old uh, film reels of his families, but also other images, uh, so it's sort of a mix of people that he knows and doesn't know, and so it's this sort of fabricated or manufactured sort of memories or histories. Mm -hmm. So really thinking about the idea of memory and how fragile it is and how um, elusive it can be and it can change over time. Interesting. Um, and then what about John Eric Steiner? Right. John Eric Steiner is an artist that is based in LA. He originally comes from Boston and is a multimedia artist. I thought it would be really great to be able to have more video and media-based works, mm -hmm. since that is such an important part of the visual uh, arts kind of landscape right mm -hmm. now and continues to be in our lives. So I think what's interesting about his exhibition, uh, Future Memories, is that he's using old and new technology to kind of speak to how we have this really kind of complicated relationship with technology. Mm -hmm. So he has like this 1970s phone receiver and an mm -hmm. audio of kind of film noir sorts of uh, cool. sayings or, you know, you, I don't want to spoil it too much, but it's <laughs> it's kind of this experience that you have to, um, you know, interact with in a certain way. And so there's just some other pieces that are pretty short loops, you know, maybe 30 seconds, a minute loop, but they're also on some different monitors, um, uh, whether they're like CRT monitors or projected um, mm -hmm. from a nice, you know, much more crisp sort of video projection. Mm -hmm. now. And all those will be running for at least a couple more months so people can check them out and everything. Right. So uh, Future Memories is up through January 30th and Beatrice Leberton's work is up through uh, early May. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. So kind of a similar, similar like a uh, you know stretch of exhibitions as you guys have been having. Similar. Yeah. Festivals. Yeah. So it's nice because we have kind of overlapping, overlapping openings. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So you start to see some interesting relationships between the different exhibitions. Yeah. I think a lot of those were like they they were like oh they all start in the beginning of the year and it's like okay that's fine. Yeah. 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 Uh, you mentioned in our emails that the museum is ramping up online programming. Mm -hmm. When you think about moving the museum more into the digital realm, what are some of the primary considerations? Like when you, what, what's on your mind most when the topic of going digital or going virtual comes up? Well, I think it's because we have uh, a very strong base of our place and space, right. you know, so that's really important. But there's also so many ways to reach new audiences virtually. So it's beyond just the boundaries of our museum or our city, but it can go and reach and connect with artists and other communities, uh, you know, across the world, really, you know, it's pretty limitless. So it seemed like a great way to be able to share some of the resources that we have. And one of the things that I think uh, was a really successful thing that was done prior to my time here is having the virtual tours online during the right. pandemic, which was great because mm -hmm. you're literally able to kind of scan around and see the work. Uh, and it's great to have that kind of archive, especially with the temporary works. But what's really important is being able to also have 
more context about those works. So we, we're starting a series of interviews with artists that we'll then be posting as kind of compliments to the exhibitions. So mm-hmm. just talking about their process and their kind of uh, thinking behind making the work. Have you all been to the uh, the Jamestown Comedy Museum? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was there probably a couple months ago, and while we were there, they were flying a drone through. You know, I oh, assume so, they were oh, doing yeah. So yeah. maybe I'm part of their virtual tour forever. <laughs> I, will, I hope not, but uh, it seemed like the drone caught me a couple people times. On Google Maps, like frozen. Right, right. Yeah. I'm frozen in time at the Jamestown Comedy mm. Museum. So National Comedy got, Center. No. National <laughs> Comedy Center. Sorry, sorry. Uh, so yeah. with, with the virtual tours, um, they're not set up for the most recent exhibits. So like, what's mm-hmm. the time frame on when something premieres physically versus when it's going to be on the website virtually? Like, what's kind of, is it staggered? It is staggered. Okay. So what we have, and part of that is just because we're still growing our small staff, is being able to have the exhibitions up for about a month or two. And mm-hmm. then we have the the uh, virtual tour recorded and it's usually that we don't have ghost people in there. We just have it <laughs> done while no one's in the museum. So you get a really clean look of the work. And then that's, you know, that's online. It lives online um, going on. So there's, yes, there's a couple of ex- exhibitions we need to kind of catch up on. Um, and that'll be coming out this fall. But another really important part of what I'd like to do moving forward is seriously digitizing the collection. And there's been a lot of work done over the past few years in cataloging and inventorying the collection of mm-hmm. 8,000 pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I think is so wonderful there is there's so much to mine you know, from the collection as far as the different artists and their historic context and what it means and what the relevance of the work is today. Mm-hmm. So there's just a small percentage of pieces that have been exhibited. Um, right now we have about 50 pieces in the highlights um, collection highlights show, uh, which is great. You know, we have some of like the the larger names of, you know, Picasso mm-hmm. and Calder mm-hmm. and Daumier. And so we have some really wonderful prints and photographs that are up, but Again, that's a small, small percentage of our collection. And this offers us an opportunity to, again, really share the work in ways that we haven't been for it, but haven't been able to before. And the opportunities for like online learning or distance learning or just sharing with other uh, schools or museums, um, we can also provide artists the opportunity to kind of interact with some of the collections too. So there's these different ways that we can kind of uh, explore that together. And I think it's a really important time to do it because the museum is, you know, I think the whole city is in this really kind of interesting place of growth and development. Mm -hmm. And uh, certainly one of the, the things that museums are really dealing with right now are what what is the purpose of the museum? Who gets to decide what's in the museum? What voices are being heard? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know who is the audience? So one of my things that I've tried to do throughout my career is really provide or try to help encourage uh, more voices to be heard and um, artists that might not be seen typically. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to celebrate that there's there's so much um important history that might be that might be left uh unsaid or unnoticed mm-hmm. hmm. S- sticking on that topic there um 
you know, you've been a curator on multiple projects dealing with you know, a subject like immigration. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to run through them really quick. We've got emigration, immigration, migration. And that was for the Westmoreland Museum of American Art in Greensburg. Mm-hmm. And then you also got out of many stories of migration, which seems to have been in a few different spots right over yeah. the last few years. Well, and so actually out of many was the overall project mm-hmm. and that the immigration, immigration, migration was the title of the Westmoreland. Show. Okay, so, so it's part of it's the bigger part of, umbrella. Yeah, okay. yeah. What's your approach, again, since we were talking about, you know, bringing different voices to the forefront, what is your approach in pitching a politically diverse community like in Erie? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Erie combined with the surrounding more rural areas, pitching the pitching a politically diverse community on future exhibits that could have political leanings or deal with mm-hmm. political subjects. How, how do you approach, you know, giving that to the community or encouraging them to come out and maybe experience a voice that is much different than theirs or viewpoints that are much different than theirs. Right. So that was part of a collaboration with the Documentary Works. And Brian Cohen is the photographer and founder of that project. And we've worked on a number of different social and environmental justice sorts of documentaries, mainly based photography documentary uh, work. And our approach has always been working with uh, a group of photographers and some writers and being able to not to say that we're going to get everybody's voice in the world, you know, on a particular subject, mm-hmm. but at least being able to have uh, a group that can then sort of branch out and take their own look and exploration of a different topic. So, like the out of many stories of migration, we had five photographers, and it's actually going to be a show that's going to be coming to the Erie Art Museum in in late February. And we hope to have some other components that are much more based in this community, you know, because of all the um, new Americans that live here and wanting to really create a more welcoming environment at the museum. And so with with the Out of Many exhibition uh, and project, an important part of it was really being able to tell individual stories. So it takes it a little more out of the realm of politics and abstract and uh, conservative versus liberal or any of that, that it's more about these individuals as people. And so while there are certainly many kinds of um, hot topics and flashpoints, our main focus was people because we all come from somewhere. So one of the really lovely uh, essays that were photo essays that were done was a series of uh, photographs that Lynn Johnson had taken, uh, Hmm. who photographed naturalization ceremonies uh, in Pittsburgh, and then also photographed those individuals in their own homes in their new homes. So it was this really interesting kind of transition in their lives that um, they generously let our photographers you know, mm-hmm. welcome them into it. Some of the other photographers took a more, uh, more focused approach by focusing on uh, families and their kind of daily life. You know, so there was a a, a family that had immigrated, and they li- literally uh, were showing the from the very first time that they got off of the airplane to their transition into a new home and new job and everything. So really getting this sense of how uh, jarring that whole experience. I mean, 
I can't personally know, but it starts to give you at least a, an inkling of like, wow, you're changing your entire mm-hmm. life in an entirely new place. Uh, and I think there's just a certain level of empathy and compassion that comes with that. You're an artist yourself. You know, mm-hmm. you have degrees from Lesley University, Carnegie Mellon, you know, this long list of exhibition appearances that people can find on your website. That history, how does it contribute to how you work with artists that you bring in? You know, because I feel like you've probably worked with you, right? You've worked with mm-hmm. curators and directors and... <laughs> You know, you've had experiences, mm-hmm. probably good and bad, mm-hmm. you know, on that front. So how does that all influence you bring in an artist, how you treat them, how you display their work? Does that yeah. does that affect how, how you work at all as a director? Well, yeah. I mean, I, in many ways, I don't see them as separate. Um, my work as an artist versus work in administration mm-hmm. or curating, it, it really feels like it's all part of my artistic practice in many ways. So it's sort of like this continuum. So, you know, certainly my studio practice is for me more meditative and being able to be alone in the studio and work on things, but I also really feed off of other people's energy and being able to work in collaboration with others. And so that's what's really wonderful about putting together shows or working at an art museum where you are interacting with the public and being able to provide opportunities for learning and just kind of curiosity to demystify some of this, oh, it's art, I don't get it, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, for me, in many ways, it's it's uh, it's just part of a, a whole sort of approach. And whenever I'm working with artists and just people in general, it's just kind of my stance of uh, wanting to be able to respect their vision and just trying to help fulfill that and, and present it in the best way possible. Um, sometimes, yeah, of course, you have differing opinions, but that's what can create some really great dialogue, actually, and then you can get to a new place that maybe neither one of you had imagined. So I feel like a lot of it is kind of common sense sort of things of just respecting the people that you're with and listening, I think, is a huge thing, which I think is an art that everybody needs to practice. I certainly do. But also uh, accepting the fact that you don't know everything and that there's so much more out there to learn uh, is, is just kind of my general approach. You know, I guess on that same subject, again, you, you're always around artwork, you know, and you just mm-hmm. you just talked about how you really feed off of it. Mm-hmm. And this may be more of like this question may come from a personal from a personal experience standpoint. But I wonder if you're ever I don't know if in, intimidated is the right word or like, have you ever felt that? You know, you're you're surrounded by all this great work all the time. Is there an intimidation to when you sit down and create yourself? Or? Every single day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that. you know, I primarily work in two-dimension kind of collage work. So, yeah, that blank page can be really uh, such a major challenge. Um but I think that when I get into the mode of, of just being present with the work or being present with some ideas and just recognizing, like, this is where I am right now, that I can start to engage more of, okay, it's it's not about comparison. It's more about just this exploration when in the studio. I think that's a really important place to be. And, yeah, there's there's times for analyzing and for um, critiquing, and that's all very important. But you know, when you're in the process of making, you really have to let go of those kinds of judgments and being able to just 
make. And for me, at least, that process is is extremely freeing. Do you have any techniques you employ to kind of separate yourself from your, you know, your day job, right? When you mm-hmm. come home and start to create, do you have any any way of kind of separating yourself from that? Or do you have like a space for yourself that helps you in that process? Because I think, yeah. again, you talked about, you know, having this huge collection. And so you're dealing with a Picasso, you mm-hmm. know, during the day, and then you have to come home and yeah. sit in front of the quote unquote blank canvas or mm-hmm. a work in progress and deal with what you just saw and also create for yourself, I guess. Yeah, well, uh, I would say at least during these last seven months or so, I haven't had a lot of time <laughs> to make work, but I I have done some drawings. Oftentimes, um, uh, doing drawings with my kids is a great way to just be present with them. And uh, we're literally like with my one son, we pass mm-hmm. the pen back and forth and mm-hmm. create the drawing together. And it might take an hour or two, but it becomes this... Uh, sort of moment and we just respond to each other's marks. So mm. I think th- that's just one example of, of mm. being able to kind of uh, separate in a way that just kind of grounds me. I think oftentimes, you know, just being able to, uh, I-, I love to read and take walks. So I think those are really important mm. ways to kind of center yourself. Where some you have some new walking paths. I do. It's what, a really what, what walkable have, city. <laughs> what have been some, some might of your, argue that some oh, of your well, yeah, yeah that, that okay, is a common yeah. argument. Yes, yes, yes. What are some of your your favorite walking paths around the city? What have you discovered in, in that regard? Do you have you done Presque Isle? I have. Bayfront? Yeah, those are definitely two of the favorite. Um, I'm living on the the West Bayfront, so. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, yes, it is welcome yeah, because yeah. I'm a 15-minute walk from the art museum, which no is really wonderful. Um, but, yeah, Presque Isle is beautiful. And it just being able to walk around downtown, I think there's there's just so much within a very small footprint. It's kind mm-hmm. of impressive, really. Mm-hmm. Going back to that, that cross-section of your – you know, you, you talked about how it's a continuum, but I mm-hmm. assume there are – there's a little bit of a cross-section there of, of two kind of skill sets, I mm-hmm. suppose. Do you feel like there are elements from both types of work that influence the other? Like, for example, do the organizational skills you need in being a director, has that made you better at something in your personal art? Um, or has the creativity and the meditative practice of creating, has that made you better, you know, at something and directing or curating, you know? On that side, yeah, I. It's hard for me to separate them out in some ways, but I think, uh, and I think this goes along with having children too. Mm. Um, just being able to handle uh, multiple uh, issues or events or projects at the same time mm-hmm. is kind of a constant juggle that I'm used to, and I do feed off of that too. Uh, just trying to keep that balance uh, because everything's always in flux. Um, so I think that helps me. I think also that's sort of reflected in the way that I make art too, because I play with a lot of different processes, whether it's drawing and painting to sewing to some sculptural elements or relief and printmaking. So it, it kind of all collects into these really sort of subtle sculptures. So bouncing back and forth between the different processes helps me look at things in different ways that I might not, uh, find if I'm just approaching it from one um, process constantly. That's Those are probably the main ways, you yeah. know, and I, I think, you know, just creative problem solving is always 
you know, there's always another, there's always a, 10 ways at least to do something, 100 ways, you know, to do something. So, uh, and it's not necessarily that one is the best or the only. So I, I think that's a really healthy approach. Yeah, I like that. The problem solving angle makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense to me. Because mm-hmm. I assume that when you're sitting down and ideating a sculpture of some kind, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's like a million different ways to approach it and same right. with your other work. Uh, in your emails, you also mentioned just to get back to the museum here, you also mm-hmm. mentioned some upcoming workshops that you're doing. So right. you, do you want to run through some of those for people? Sure. Well, with Beatrice, we have um, a really wonderful opportunity to have a workshop with her this Saturday morning. And it's from 10 to 1. So it is called Recycling Memories. And so she'll lead people through having, uh, bring. they're supposed to bring a photograph and some fabric or cloth that has meaning to them and then creating some work out of that. So it just gives a little bit of a taste of some of her process, um, which has a lot of uh, images of, uh, of, of women and um, specifically women of, of color. And so really being able to celebrate um, these different memories or histories. And as far as some of the other projects that we have coming up, some of the other classes that we have coming up include uh, a framing workshop that will happen later on. We're still working on the dates for that. But we also have a writing workshop that will happen in October. And you can take either all four of the, the courses or take one, take them individually. And so it's basically writing in response to the work that's in the, the exhibitions and using that as like a storytelling sort of prompt in many ways. Gotcha. That's cool. Yeah. What are the community partnerships that don't exist for the museum right now that are a priority to you and your team? You know, you, you, you've had, you know, these six, seven months to mm-hmm. kind of look at Erie as a whole and the, in the artist community, I assume. Mm-hmm. What are those community partnerships that you're like, we need to, we need to establish those? move in that direction. Right. Well, I think it's always kind of an ongoing process of, you know, continuing to cultivate that throughout. And certainly with our artists and uh, the the overall community, that's a, a huge, a huge uh, element of what we do. That's why we're here. So I think in many ways, wanting to reconnect with schools in a way that can be more meaningful. We've started a kind of collaboration partnership with Edinburgh University um, by being able to have some of their art education students come and start to look at the work there and being able to uh, help create some curriculum or some discussion points for school groups. And, you know, some of these uh, collaborations have happened in the past and they've been wonderful, but being able to restart it now in the kind of environment that we're in uh, is is really critical to be able to respond to what we have now. Some of the other uh, partnerships certainly include um, our next door neighbor, the Children's Museum, and looking at ways that we can help each other out or create some really interesting synergies between the programs. Um, being able to have young children in the museum in a way that is appropriate and also helps to introduce them to a whole other, uh, you know, uh, resource that they might not see otherwise. To you, does it, does it feel like the, the artist community in Erie is connected in a tangible way to the museum? Or is that something that you're looking to improve upon? Or Definitely want to improve upon it. I mean, there's been such an enormous amount of support for the Erie Art Museum over its long history. And 
you know, that includes obviously the artists themselves, but a lot of um, supporters, financially donors, that sort of thing. So I think it's a very um, rich community in that way, as far as how much people have this strong tie and connection to the place. But it's something that I know over the last uh, few years, there's been a lot of transition and I'm hoping that we, as we move forward, that we just have regular kind of ongoing discussions and dialogues um, with with different groups of of artists and community members. So that's another thing that I really want to uh, have a a regular presence in that way where people can come on, whether, um, you know, they're dealing with... uh, you know, young children or different audiences or, you know, whether it might be new Americans or whether it might be um, working with some social service agencies that how can we help each other out and what can we provide each other as resources? Right. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of artists in the community really take ownership over the over the art museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure people, you know, listening to this right now are like, oh, that's my museum. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I still want to be a part of it. And, um you know, I'm assuming you're going to still have like a, you know, very welcoming atmosphere. And that's, you know, that kind of touches on a lot of things you've you've said before. Definitely. I mean, that I think is priority yeah. number one is is really being able to welcome pe- people back mm-hmm. into the space, um, having more hours open and more programming available. And, yeah, there are people I am, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants here. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a really wonderful, rich history Absolutely. that the community um, has that that created this uh, this really kind of a gem in the city. Mm-hmm. So I'm just um, I feel very fortunate to be in this position to kind of help take it to that yeah. next level in that new phase. Uh, you know, researching for this interview, you kind of stumble upon like kind of the general art museum trend articles, mm-hmm. you know, and the mm-hmm. listicles about here are the, you know, the 10 things that are changing about art museums in the future. So I'm going to throw a couple of them at you. We say okay. recording in a library. Yeah, we say <laughs> we say that recording in a library. So I'm going to throw a few of those at you and I'll just, we'll okay. see what your general reaction is. So the okay. AR, VR like that whole movement to integrate that technology into art museums and spaces like a library. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that work? Is that something that you see still far off in the future? What's your kind of general opinion on all that? I think there's been some really interesting, like innovative ways of, of doing that. I think having the technical expertise to pull that off and the equipment to pull that off really well is mm-hmm. the biggest challenge. Um, uh, especially for organizations that may or museums that might not have presented it before, um, and so I I think um, you know there's there's some interesting conversations that are going on around the whole Van, Van Gogh experience and um, how that is this sort of amazing spectacle, but the original work is so entirely different. You know the experience of those paintings, which are relatively small in comparison mm-hmm. to these massive video projections that you're submerged into. Um, so what, what museum is that? Or is, is it a traveling? Oh, uh, there's yeah. like 30 or 40 yeah, of them. Big. And yeah, they're, uh, they're huge. Like I know there's one that's happening in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I think there's another Cleveland, in Buffalo yeah, okay. and Cleveland. Yeah. So there's, there's a variety of those. And um, while I think that that's wonderful to get people into museums and into mm-hmm. cultural spaces, uh, I also think there's a lot that can, 
not, and this is not, I haven't seen one, so I don't want to be overjudgmental, but I think that sometimes there's, it's just providing this kind of cool experience, but how much are you getting into some of the history and, and um, context behind the artists that created those images in the mm -hmm. first place? Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's an interesting thing that's starting to happen, um, or that has been happening, is that there's, you know, there's so much appropriation of images, mm -hmm. and especially in our digital age, you know, it's just there's so much that's out there that I think there's a real need, and this is something that the museum can help serve, is to pro help provide sort of a visual literacy um, for the community because they are surrounded with all of these images with all kinds of histories which can be manipulated or morphed into different meanings. So I think being able to have that uh, connection of how these images and symbols have evolved over the years is really important to kind of understand what some of these other messages might be coming across. I think we can talk more about the cool experience versus context in a second, but I want to get back to, well, how, I guess, how do you supply that additional context that allows you to understand a painting? Is it through, is it something as simple as the museum having a blog? Is it things that mm -hmm. you have to hand out when people are in the museum? Like, how mm -hmm. do you supply that additional context to make it a more, to make it a richer experience? Yeah, I think it's it's a lot of different ways because people learn in different ways and people want to interact in different ways. So, you know, I think there's a continuum too of more informal learning versus more structured learning. Um, you know, being able to just come into the museum and being able to have different text available, takeaways available, obviously labels and that sort of introductory panels are really important. Mm -hmm. But also being able to go back and continue your experience to online by being able to have more information about the artists or links to their websites. Or we, we've been doing a series um, of uh, interviews with artists, um, brief interviews right now, but it's something that we want to continue and be able to have kind of a building a collection of these different interviews with artists to talk about their process and their uh, approach to art making. Yeah, let's go to like that idea of museums creating a cool experience. I started thinking about, you know, social media and obviously mm. kind of the stereotype of social media and art museums is, you know, basically a bunch of people jockeying in front of the Mona Lisa, to, you know, to get <laughs> right, a bad picture, right, right, basically. Right. But to you, is there a way to take advantage of that, that need to document? Is there a way to make the Erie Art Museum Instagram friendly, mm -hmm. you know, for... To, to put it simply, you know, without, yeah. again, without taking away something else, the educational experience. Right. Yeah. And it's not to, to, I mean, I really actually can, I, I enjoy Instagram, um, you know, everything has its ups and downs, but um, I think for artists and for arts organizations, it's a really wonderful tool because mm -hmm. it is so focused on the image. And so you're getting these uh, kind of, you know, little peeks into different places. And oftentimes you can look and see, you know, so many different perspectives on a, you know, particular place or hashtag or whatever it might be. So I, I think it's, yes, there are definitely ways that we can use that to um, engage with people. And I think that there have been some really wonderful um, ways that the museum has done that. I think that it is uh, definitely a very popular place for photographs and <laughs> obviously events right, and those right. sorts yeah. of things, which is great. And being able to just have that in your landscape is is a great start, you know. And I think that being able to 
you know, share some things, you know, as far as uh, conversations online that can happen, um, as far as, you know, you're, you know, you're working, you know, talking about a favorite artist or what do you think of this particular piece or, you know, being able to have those kinds of engagements are, are really important, but also uh, being able to share uh, the community's work too. Um, that was something that uh, was certainly done during the pandemic and being able to kind of have uh, online critiques and that sort of thing. So I think there's ways to engage that we're just just beginning to um, to really start in earnest in those ways. And of course, there's the stuff on the far, far end of the spectrum, which is like, you know, I was reading this article in the New York Times. It was from like 2017, but it was about these museums that were basically they were literally made for Instagram. Mm -hmm. You know, they were mm -hmm. they had these rooms that were like these perfect selfie backdrops. Right, and I think they right. called them spectacle, like the, like the mattress factory. <laughs> Everyone yeah. knows. Yeah. So, you know, of course, they were writing about them because they were big successes at the time. So, I guess, what's your general thought on having some aspect of an exhibition or some aspect of a museum made to garner that sort of attention? You know, made specifically for this generation and mm -hmm. how they create content for themselves and promote themselves in a way. And I, I think it's an important thing for, for us to consider. And I think that it's not that a good or bad thing, but being able to consider that in this larger context of how we use media and how we think about visual art and how, how they function within our society, you know? So I think it's not just a, um, uh, oh, we got to connect to this audience because this is how this age gr group uses, you know, social media and all these different ways. That's great. And it starts to, you know, it has a whole other conversation about language and communication, which I think is really important. So I think that it's another mode of communicating and connecting with people. And so it's certainly something that I think we want to continue to think about and do in ways that... Um, help continue the conversation right it doesn't go against the art museum's natural no 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 it doesn't <laughs> it's it's very much a part of it's just part of the 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 ongoing conversation that that um has been happening since time yeah. immemorial you know it's it's not um a good or bad thing it's it's it has some really wonderful elements to it and it gives context to i know the history of what's happened before right and there are definitely selfie opportunities in the uh the everything but the shelves exhibit yeah, sure. A lot of there people was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, that's where Beatrice's show is right, now. Yeah, yeah. But there's some really, yeah, yeah, beautiful work. And yes, there's there's plenty of selfie opportunities. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's all our listeners tune in. They want to yeah, know. Yeah. They now know. They Hashtag now know. They'll, they'll be there. Anytime. They'll mm -hmm. be there. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess I, I'm. I think we're about ready to wrap up, Nick. Unless you have any other cool. questions. Uh, just a just a short question. Um, so uh, personally, I I my. My ex-girlfriend worked at the museum for many, many years, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know, I, and so I, you know, I, you know, I mentioned, you know, people having a sense of ownership about the museum, mm -hmm. and you know, I'm definitely one of those people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, being you know, friends with many, many members of the staff, uh, you know, through many iterations, like how? I mean, I guess my question is, how is the family of the art museum? How mm -hmm. how is the staff? Uh, you know, through. You know, there's been tremendous turnaround. And, yeah. In, in five years or so, there's only one or two faces, uh, I think, that have mm -hmm. that have remained there. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, how is the staff handling that transition? How are they, you know, kind of 
how are you working as a team? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I have to say that the staff has really been amazing. Uh, they have gone through such a difficult time Absolutely. over the last few years. And um, I mean, everyone has with the pandemic, certainly. But then also we just the changing with the, yeah, the, the changes in leadership. And um, there's just, you know, that's been difficult, a lot of uncertainty and then mm-hmm. um, trying to, you know, continue on. And, and they've done a great job of that. And I think that the board has been extremely supportive of, mm-hmm. of wanting to, you know, create an environment that that is a healthy working environment for the staff and the community. And, you know, I think that anytime there's a change in leadership, there's, you know, people reconsider where they're, where they want to be and that sort of thing. But I have to say that I think that, you know, with all of the people that um, I have met through the, the staff and, and the board, that there is this ongoing sense of just really loving the place and mm-hmm. wanting to see it grow and continue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I've met with some previous uh, staff members and, um, you know, had some, some really great conversations mm-hmm. about, you know, what their take is on yeah. on the history. And so I, I really... Um, I really appreciate that kind of yeah. openness and commitment to the place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you said you're hiring maybe a few more positions mm-hmm, too. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think one of the things that you mentioned people staying there for many years, mm-hmm. and I think that that's uh, not. It's not every place where uh, an outsider, you know, is aware of. Oh, that person, you know, that person mm-hmm. that works here that's mm-hmm. not even at the highest level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I see them every time I'm in there. Right. Um, you know, maybe the library is a similar place. I'm saying that because we're here. But uh, I think, you know, that that said a lot about having, you know, being able to retain people for that long that were, mm-hmm. you know, truly committed to art in Erie mm-hmm. and everything like that. Um, yeah. And I mean, those are the people that make it tick, right? Yeah, I mean, that, you know, it's, it's certainly not just a one person show by any mm-hmm. means. So I uh, have a great deal of respect for the staff that has, uh, you know, made it happen over the past mm-hmm. year and a half yeah. and, and longer. And, and certainly, uh, you know, others that have been involved in the museum um, for, for decades, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, volunteers, volunteers and, yeah. and um, supporters of all kinds. I mean, uh, I, I, where I come from, from Pittsburgh, you know, the Center for the Arts was kind of that sort of touchstone, you know, yeah, very kind yeah. of familial relationship yeah. with the community in many ways. And so I, I'm really attracted to that kind of connection that it's, it's not this huge, uh, you know, international organization that um, feels that might feel cold or foreboding or something. It's people. It's something that people really feel connected mm-hmm. to and do have ownership, which is a really beautiful thing. Yeah, thought I had something else, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. I have one more oh, thing. Okay. Oh no, go ahead, Nick. Um, These have been great questions. By think, the way, oh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're asking them. Um, you know, you, you you touched on it a little bit too, but I also think like in the past few years at the art museum, I think the the actual board. You know, mm-hmm. uh, has been so much more um, visible for obviously certain reasons, but mm-hmm. I think uh, I think they've how how has how has it been working with them as well? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. on on the other side, I, I've really enjoyed working with the board. I I think that you know during this time of transition that they've put some things in place to really kind of. Uh, 
update the the sort of uh, structure of the museum and how yeah. a museum should work. Um, not to criticize what had been done before, but right, right. I think there's you know just things that change that you have to be um, cognizant of, and when especially when when thinking about um, long term sort of issues of sustainability mm-hmm. and um, succession planning and mm-hmm, those mm-hmm. kinds of things, and just having um, you know taking real consideration of of, uh, of you know, em- employee handbooks and processes yeah. and policies um, all across the board that it helps to create a, <laughs> yes, an unintended, but it helps create a, a real system of, of continuity that you can then, you know, it is a community um, asset and, and treasure yeah. that you want to really uh, protect, but also, um, uh, you know, help to promote and grow. So yeah. I, I feel like that there's been, um, a great deal of support in that way. I think that um, that you know each of the board members are, are very invested in that, and we're also looking at how we can you know expand the board a bit more. Not not too huge, but right, to right. have some other folks with um, with different sorts of resources or or um, backgrounds that can help provide some areas that you know we might not have as mm-hmm. extensively. Excellent. Yeah. Right, well, mine was much less serious than those <laughs> questions. I just want to know what your uh, Again, you're you're newer to Erie, so what have mm. become your studies in regards to, <laughs> you know, if you want to get a drink or if you want to order out or mm-hmm. what what are the early favorites? Oh, the early favorites. Well, it's kind of dangerous that Ember and Forge is literally around the corner. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so that is uh, definitely a a, a go to. Yeah, I know they're wonderful, and um, you know I have to say that uh, I've I've really enjoyed. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of little great little uh, places to eat. You know, like uh, El Amigo and um, Molly Brannigan's. It's mm-hmm. right all along there, which is great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. being downtown Fifth Street, it's, and it's yeah, pretty it's, sweet. Yeah, you know, and um, Pineapple Eddie's is pretty amazing. Um, Good answers. Yeah, yeah I've <laughs> I, I've had some great people kind of say, "Oh, you got to check this out. You got to check this mm-hmm. out." So mm-hmm. you know, longtime Erie natives are checking off some positive boxes. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay, you, right? that's yeah, yeah. good to hear. Yeah, she knows what <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's been really great. We want to thank Laura for taking time out of her busy schedule to be with us. If you want to know any more about the exhibits or activities the Art Museum is putting on, head over to erieartmuseum.org. Once again, that is erieartmuseum.org. For all your local news needs in the Erie region, head over to eriereader.com or pick it up at your local newsstand. If you want to know more about the Beehive, head to nwpabeehive.com. We'll see you next time.